0: How's everybody doing tonight? We're going to watch a video that will be 18 minutes long in just a moment. But before we do that though, uh, I'm going to read uh, some of Daniel 1 and then we're going to talk about a few things first, okay? I want you to listen to these words for a moment. Just listen very closely to this. An earthquake shakes the foundation of our security. A tornado blows away a lifetime of treasures. An assassin's bullet changes national history. A drunk driver claims an innocent victim. A divorce shatters a home. Terrorism frightens a nation. International and personal tragedies make our world a fearful place, overflowing with evil and seemingly out of control. The litany of bombings, kidnappings, shootings, and natural disasters could cause us to think that God is absent or impotent. Where is God, we cry, engulfed by sorrow and despair. 25 centuries ago, Daniel could have despaired. He and thousands of his countrymen had been deported to a foreign land after Judah was conquered. Daniel found himself facing an egocentric despot and surrounded by idolaters. But instead of giving in or giving up, this courageous young man held fast to his faith in God. Daniel knew that despite the circumstances, God was sovereign and was working out his plan for nations and individuals. The book of Daniel centers around this profound theme. The sovereignty of God. Somebody read Matthew uh, chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 for us. Matthew 5 verses 13 to 16. Who would do that? Okay, Ricky, by the way, good to see Ricky and Claude with us tonight. They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay. What's it mean to be salt? To preserve. Okay. Obviously, back in ancient times, they didn't have Frigidares or Hot Points or Whirlpools or whatever. So how did they keep meat from rotting? Rubbing salt into it. Uh what do you have to do with the salt to get it to preserve the meat? It's got to be rubbed in, right? What's that say to us? Christians living in a pagan environment. Folks, thank, thank God for groups like, you know, you take the Amish or Mennonites, godly people. But is it God's plan for us to be removed in our own little communities that we never interact with the world? Is that really God's plan? It's not, is it? Now, as you read the book of Daniel, I would encourage you also uh, to read the book of Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Habakkuk. That go along with the message of the book of Daniel. What was Habakkuk's complaint against God? Does anybody remember what, what was the big question that Habakkuk raised? You see what's
1: going on? You're
0: not doing anything about it. Okay. Do you see what's going on? You're not doing anything about it, seemingly. But there was another big concern. What was the other real big, 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 big concern that Habakkuk raised? Why are you going to use a more wicked people to judge a more righteous people? Exactly. And so uh, Habakkuk, for three chapters, goes on about that. By the time you get to chapter three, obviously he's, he's come around. But uh, I would encourage you to read these three together Uh, from Jeremiah uh, write down Jeremiah 29 because in Jeremiah 29 God told them how long they were going to go away into exile that it would be for 70 years and God said while you're in exile I want you to build houses plant vineyards sow your crops Uh, Work for the good of the land because if the land prospers, what's going to happen with you? You're going to prosper too. Exactly. So again, study study those books uh, together. Don't just read Daniel as being a bunch of good stories for children's VBS lessons. Does it have good stories? Absolutely some of our favorite in the Bible but don't just read it as that likewise even though it tells us enormously about prophecy don't just fill in prophecy charts from it there's more to it than that the book is all of the above but it's more than that also don't read it thinking if I'm a godly person I'm going to be spared trials. I won't ever be thrown into the lion's den. Or if I am thrown into the lion's den, hey, I'll be delivered. And if I'm thrown into a fiery furnace, I'm going to come through just fine. No, because guess what? Sometimes God's people have not come through just fine. More martyrs for the cause of Christ in the 20th century, the last century, than in all 19 centuries preceding. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? Think of the apostles. Tradition says that all of them, but of course the apostle John, uh, and he suffered because he was exiled to Patmos. But all of them died horrible deaths. How about Polycarp? You know who Polycarp was? Anybody in here? Okay. Uh, He was discipled by the Apostle John. And Polycarp, when he was an elderly man, was arrested and put on trial for his faith. And he was going to be burned to death. And they said, renounce Christ. And he said, no. For these 80 and 6 years, I think it is, 80 and 6 years, he has never forsaken me. I'm not going to forsake him. Um, They said, away with the atheist." They viewed Christians as being atheists because Christians didn't serve and worship all the gods of the Romans. And the Greeks. And so they referred to uh, Christians as atheists. And Polycarp looked out at the Roman crowd and said, yes, away with the atheists. <laughs> so God's people have suffered. But in, in the book of Daniel, I'll talk more about this uh, later. We see the sovereignty of God, don't we? Kings and kingdoms don't rise without God doing it. God raises one up and puts another down. God's in charge. And sometimes God's people get caught up in the tidal wave of bad. Now, Daniel has a huge lesson to give us on living in such a way that we can thrive in our Babylon. Babylon. God had told his people that there would be blessings and curses uh, if they either obeyed or disobeyed the covenant. Write down uh, Leviticus 26. In addition to Leviticus 26 will be Deuteronomy chapter 8. In both of these chapters and in other places as well, God said if you obey the terms of the covenant, then here's the blessings you can expect. You know, I'm going to look after the land. I'm going to protect you from your enemies. Uh, you're going to see your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. But if you break the covenant, if you disobey me, then your crops are going to fail. I'm going to bring foreign enemies in and destroy you. You're gonna, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to carry you away into exile. I mean, there's just a litany of bad that God says... Uh, He would do if they did not obey the terms of the covenant. And of course, the backdrop of the book of Daniel is they didn't obey. God is judging them. We're going to talk more specifically in a few moments why. uh, What it was that they had done and been neglecting for years and years and years that God was going to judge them for uh, by sending them away. Uh, into exile but let's pick up reading uh, first of all in Daniel chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1 says during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning... Are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect And affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king." So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar The king talked with him, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus." Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word as we study uh, this portion of the book of Daniel. Lord, give us understanding and help us to understand that just as Daniel was living in a very pagan land that was against you. Lord, that's precisely the predicament that we find ourselves in today. And Lord, these are not days... For your church to shrink back and cower down, but help us to purpose in our hearts that we will obey you and that we will not compromise our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to watch a video for 18 minutes and then we're going to get started in more detail about uh, Daniel chapter 1. Okay?
2: Hi, I'm John Yell. Welcome to our Bible study series, Thriving in Babylon. Self-absorbed, violent, relativistic, godless. Those are only a few of the words we might use to describe the culture we live in today. It is a far cry from Eden, that's for sure. In the last 20 years alone, we've not only seen our traditional biblical values thrown out the window, but we've also mourned the loss of innocent people from the injustices of terrorism, mass shootings, and human trafficking. This has left many of us confused, discouraged, and fearful. Can we maintain faith in such a post-Christian culture? Where is God in all of this? Can we still trust Him? Over the next five sessions, we'll watch real-life stories of people who asked the same questions of God when they faced pain, injustice, and hostility. And Pastor Larry Osborne will walk us through the life of Daniel in the Bible. You've probably heard Daniel's story of rescue from the lion's den. But did you know that the city of Babylon where he was forced to live was like a lion's den of its own, wicked and dark? Daniel not only survived in the godless culture of Babylon, he thrived by the power of God. Larry will show us how we too can thrive in godless culture with faith, hope, humility, and wisdom. Could we be living in a modern day Babylon? Let's hear what ordinary people on the street think about the moral condition of our country.
1: was a kid we just disappeared all day long and mom never really worried about anything except when we were going to be home for dinner. You
0: know you could take off and go to the park or play on the street or ride your bike around and now you know you let your kid go out in the front yard alone you can get in trouble.
1: I really love kids and watching how they're growing up um, not like parents are doing a bad job raising them but as m- in regards to what they're being exposed to at a certain young age can be problematic.
2: And I do believe that The world is in, uh, I would say, complete uh, turmoil and chaos right now. We're
3: dealing with a lot of stuff, racism, poverty-stricken areas. How people are treating immigrants, how people are treating those of Islamic faith.
2: Whenever you go to YouTube, you go to any blogger sites, you see, like, a lot of nasty things come up. Sex trafficking and, like, drugs and all that kind of stuff.
3: You know, broken families or, you know, unwanted children is, is a
0: particular concern of mine. ISIS. It's horrible. It's terrible. We'll find a way to overcome that, but once you cut off the head of one snake, there's another one waiting to pop out again.
2: The media, I feel, like, um, perpetuates uh, perversion. Um, it takes everything out of God's divine order.
0: One of the biggest things is the media. Yeah, it seems to spin it whatever way is, is good for their, their views and not actually what is truth and what is what is good for the country and what is good for everybody.
3: Most people who vote don't know what they're voting for they're like yeah we're republican or yeah we're you know we're democrats you don't know what you're voting for
0: it's so violent now throughout
1: uh all communities not just one anymore hey if
4: we're honest many of us would have to admit that these are incredibly confusing times it's as if we went to sleep and woke up in a completely different world at warped speed, values that we once considered to be normative, not just in the Christian world, but our world at large have been completely turned on in. And those of us who hold to some of those values, we're now looked at as backwards or foolish or the biggest sin of all time today, intolerant. And it leaves us, many of us feeling confused, uh, uh, disoriented. We, we, we don't quite know how to respond to this place we find ourselves in. And yet comes to the rescue a guy named Daniel, and a book called Daniel. For the last number of years I've been doing kind of a deep dive into that particular book and into his life, and I have been blown away with the incredibly helpful principles for how to live in a Babylon world like ours. You see, I grew up thinking that the book of Daniel was pretty much an adventure story for kids. Uh, I mean, it's got some great things. It's got a a lion's den. It's got a fiery furnace. It's got uh, all kinds of prophecies and miracles. It's a Sunday school teacher's delight. But in reality, the book of Daniel was never written to be a Sunday school story. It was written to give instructions to adults who were living in a Babylon-like culture so we would know how to have an impact and how to have an influence. And Daniel did exactly that. Three different kingdoms were mightily influenced and kings turned around by the life that he lived. Now what was his secret? Well, the secret for Daniel was a very simple thing. And it's found in the first couple of verses. Verses that frankly no one ever showed me when we would teach through Daniel because we were so quick to get into the story, if you will. But right at the beginning of Daniel he says these words. He says in the third year of King Jehoiakim, the king of Jerusalem, that... Nebuchadnezzar came and he besieged Jerusalem. And then it says this strange phrase, and the Lord delivered to Nebuchadnezzar not only Jerusalem, but a bunch of holy things from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar took back and then put in the temple of his God as a way of mocking our great and our powerful God. Now the key to all of the rest of Daniel is found in that little phrase, the Lord delivered. You see, Daniel isn't a diary. He's not writing it as he's going along his life. He's now at the backside of his life, and he's looking back at what had happened and what God had done. And he says, you know what? To understand all of my responses, to understand my attitude, to understand why I did what I did the way I did it, you need to understand not just the foundation, but the absolute cornerstone of everything that was in my mind. And it was this. The God's in control of who's in control. That even when the wicked succeed as Nebuchadnezzar did, God is not surprised. He is not up in heaven wondering what to do, calling Gabriel and all the uh, other angels to help him out with some sort of plan B. And by the way, let's understand how wicked and evil Babylon was. It was the personification of all evil in the eyes of the angels. In fact, Revelation tells us when... Jesus Christ returns, the angels are gonna shout out, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now, why do they cry that? Why don't they cry, fallen, fallen is Nazi Germany, fallen, fallen is Sin City, fallen, fallen is Iraq or ISIS or God knows what. In all of history, the most wicked of wicked that they ever experienced was Babylon. God is in control of who's in control. Even when a Nebuchadnezzar has his heyday, And as we're gonna see in the rest of our time together as we walk through thriving in Babylon, that is the one principle that we wanna deep, deeply set into our hearts and into our minds. God is always in control of who's in control. He's never confused, he's never frustrated, he's never surprised, he's always in control. And therein lies the foundational cornerstone of Daniel's attitude, Daniel's action, Daniel's survival and Daniel's thriving in Babylon. And it's a cornerstone we must build in our life as well if we're going to thrive in our modern day Babylon.
3: Danny, all his life really wanted to be something macho, but also helpful, to really want to do something uh, for the community. When he was in high school, he got involved working at the police department. For me, it was hard because I didn't really want him to go into law enforcement because I was afraid, but there was just no stopping him. He was so um, in love with law enforcement and with, That whole idea of working in his community, working in Oceanside.
5: And then he was uh, selected to go to the police academy and became a police officer.
4: The second Oceanside police
3: officer shot and killed in the line of duty in the last three years. In
4: the last three years. was killed during a traffic stop. According to Oceanside police, six shots were fired. At least one of them struck Vessant. He died a short time.
5: It was on December 20th, 2006, and he went to back up a fellow officer and a group of gang members fired upon them, and Dan was hit in an area unprotected by his bulletproof vest, and he and he died there.
3: All I remember is just um, feeling sick, and I didn't understand. I thought, what, well, what about all those verses where it says... Um, he will lift you up, um, you know, and he's going to comfort those who mourn. So I was kind of yelling out to God. I was feeling like silence from God. Like, this big thing happened, and I've done everything right. Now where are you? Why are you not taking care of my pain?
5: We're really ministered to by people, and we were really ministered to by prayer, by people's prayers. And... and, um, our experiences were different, and we both went through different uh, peaks and valleys. I know this sounds weird, and we're not churchy God-talk people; just not that way. But we could feel people praying for us, and people would tell Jeannie, um, "You know, I woke up last night. The Lord woke me up at three in the morning to pray for you." It was a, a really sad time to lose Danny, but. I never felt lonely or alone or distanced from God and you know that the night that Danny was killed I believe two of the the young men that participated in the shooting were taken into custody and a third was taken into custody later and these they were very young men and um, I remember feeling that we lost our son and that their families had lost their sons too and I remember feeling empathy for their fathers and their mothers that um, they have, they've, they've lost their sons in a, in a much different way. You know, they were uh, arrested and, and brought to trial and, and um, our family has forgiven them for, for their acts because it's an incredibly freeing thing to put that in God's hands and not to carry that vengeance in our hearts and to let him take care of that just like I've had to relinquish the fact that he's taking care of Danny.
2: That story reminds us of the reality that bad things happen to all of us, Christian or not. Jesus affirms that reality in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. But why does God do that? Doesn't he care about our attempts to do good? Let's take a closer look at how Daniel responded to trial.
4: You know, one of the great conundrums or mysteries of the Bible is how in the world the innocent can get caught in the backwash of God's judgment upon the wicked. But that's exactly what happens. We often think that, well, if God is in control of the situation or if God is watching over me, well, then only good things are going to happen to me. Or if bad things do, they're going to be because I brought them upon myself. But we get caught even when we're innocent in the backwash of God's judgment on others. That's exactly what happened to Daniel. Daniel was a godly man, a godly young kid who uh, was honorable in his character, his actions, all kinds of things about him. And yet when God's judgment upon the nation of Israel came, Daniel and his three friends and other nobles, they were taken as captives and kidnapped uh, and ended up uh, finding themselves in Babylon through no fault of their own. Actually, this principle starts out on page two in our bible there 's the, right after the fall there 's a story of Cain and Abel and we 've got wicked k- uh, Cain killing good and innocent Abel and that continues on as a storyline all the way until the martyrs in the book of revelation and Yet, every time we find ourselves caught in that kind of situation uh, as a uh, as a nation or as individuals we 're shocked we 're just shocked that anything like this could happen and yet Daniel is a great great story and illustration that yes, it can happen and when it happens exactly what we're supposed to do You see God's order of judgment is not what we expect We would expect God's judgment to begin with the wicked Uh, And if God is going to come in judgment my thought would on my own be that God's going to start with the worst of the worst And yet that's not been his pattern. He always starts with his own. He starts with his family Uh, We've got in the book of Hebrews the teaching that uh, God disciplines those who are his own. Uh, There's a prophet named Habakkuk in the Old Testament who was just completely confused because he saw the rise of the Assyrians off in the distance. He saw them having great success after great success, and they were marching inevitably towards Jerusalem, and he could tell what was going to happen. And so he cries out to God, and he says, God, why in the world are you doing this? We are in in, in, uh, need of judgment. We've messed up big time. But we are nowhere near as bad as these people. And God tells him this. He says, yes, I know that, and I will deal with them later. But for now, I'm using them to come down upon you so that you, as my people, will learn the lesson. Because God is much more concerned about our ultimate holiness than he is about our current happiness. Daniel realizes this whole sense of getting caught in the backwash of others and how we're so interconnected in a famous prayer that you can read in Daniel chapter nine where over 25 times he talks about, Lord, we have sinned, Lord, we deserve what is happening to us. And yet you read Daniel and here's a guy who, you can't find any sin that he had committed in his life, but he understood God's judgment begins with a family. And if you're part of the family, and the family's been messing up, you can get caught in that backwash. If you're part of a fallen world that God hasn't come to put a final judgment upon, and you're part of that fallen world where he's waiting so that more will come to him, you and I can get caught in the midst of that backwash. It's a tough thing and a terribly difficult experience, but it should never be one that surprises us. We don't know what God's doing at this time in our history. There are times where I think that perhaps what he's doing is he's sending the herd. He's separating the, the, the genuine from the bogus. And that uh, what he is doing is he's setting the stage for a great plan of his, a pure church into the future. Remember what happened in China? There was a time where the missionaries were kicked out and everybody wrung their hands and thought, oh, my gosh, this is a horrible, horrible thing. But what God was doing was letting sin have its day, and the end result was a spiritual hunger in China that is far greater than we had even when we had the missionaries there. You see, we can rest assured, there is never a trial, there is never a hardship that goes to waste. God is always at work in the background, doing something to set the stage for his glory and his honor. And Daniel knew that. And that's where Daniel found his confidence.
2: Larry shared with us the secret to Daniel's success. He knew that God was in control of who was in control. With that foundation of faith, Daniel was able to survive and thrive in Babylon, even when he faced injustice. He may have questioned why God would allow bad things to happen. We all have that freedom. But he was confident God was doing something bigger. What about you? Do you find comfort in God's sovereignty, or do you struggle to see how he can be alive and active when you look at the world around you? Have you been able to see God at work behind painful circumstances in your life, or have you been the victim of tragedy and wrestled to know why, like Steve and Jean? Consider sharing with your group your honest thoughts and feelings as you study this book together. See you next time.
0: Okay, uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, One thing we'll see in the book, I've already mentioned this one. We'll see how God is able, uh, in powerful ways, to use individuals that are completely consecrated to Him. Uh, Even when everything seems stacked against us how God is able uh, to to use us. You know, sometimes people wonder what? can, Can one individual really make that much difference? Well, what's the book of Daniel say? Certainly so. People may ask, is God really involved in the world? How much will he pay attention to me? Will my commitment to him really mean that much? And all of those questions and more are answered uh, by the book of Daniel. As I mentioned, all all of these things, sovereignty of God, decision of an individual to glorify God in a pagan place, and then God's watch, care, over, and reward of such a person. Some key things uh, we're going to see as we go through uh, this book. Daniel says volumes to believers Who are caught in ungodly scenarios. Might be where you work. Might be where you go to school. Might be where you live. Daniel speaks to all of that. If you're taking notes tonight. I want you to write down first of all. You may find yourself in situations beyond your control. When when we look at the very first of the book how does it begin what's the, what's the time stamp ok so what year was this anybody know 605 605 B.C. Now, how many different invasions into Judah by the Babylonians were there? Three, Three. okay. What year would Ezekiel be captured? Okay, which was what year? Does anybody know? 597. Okay. And then what year was it when Nebuchadnezzar came in again and destroyed the temple and the walls around the city? What year was that? 586. He finally finished what he was what he was aiming for. They've been sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind. They've had more than a hundred years to see what God did to Israel. What had God done to Israel? The Assyrians. Assyrians. Not Syrians, but Assyrians. And and what is it that happened to them in 722 B.C.? Does anybody remember? The Ten Tribes. Gone. They never factor in anymore to the rest of the Old Testament narrative. Judah has had more than a hundred years to witness this. And yet they've not repented. And so God came in and drove them into exile for 70 years years now look at verse 2 look at what it says the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah does anybody know what what God calls Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 25 there's a title that he gives anybody know what that title is that God gives to Nebuchadnezzar My deputy, essentially, is what he says. My deputy. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be my deputy. It says God gave. Now, Nebuchadnezzar being an ungodly king, what what would he have thought? I did it. In fact, in chapter 4, we're going to see that. Look at what I've done by my power and by my might. And God's going to judge him in chapter 4 because of his pride. It, It wasn't one nation being stronger than another one at all. It was that God gave the people of Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Again, you'll recall Habakkuk. He had problems with this. He accused God. How can you let a less godly nation judge your people? And so that's a lesson that Habakkuk had to learn. Now, the capture here is the fulfillment of many warnings from the prophets that God had given to Judah. Write down some verses here. Isaiah 24, 1 to 6. Isaiah 24, 1-6, says that they had been ignoring the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. They had not been given the land rest. And so God was going to make sure the land got rest. Also, the Old Testament mentions idolatry. God was going to send them into exile because of their idolatry. They were going to get so sick and tired of idols in Babylon that when they came back, uh, idolatry, open idolatry, was never again going to become uh, the predominant sin that it had become. And then... Isaiah 1, 4 through 6 speaks of moral apostasy. So all of those are reasons that God was going to send them into exile. Now, why didn't God just destroy Judah the way he had done the ten tribes of Israel? Christ hadn't come yet, exactly. Exactly. He's protect. He God always protects a remnant. He always has a remnant, and he's he's preserving those in the southern kingdom, the line for the Lord Jesus. Well, what what happens to Daniel? Daniel finds himself as. Uh, This gentleman said on the video, caught up in the backwash. God judges Judah and Daniel and his buddies find themselves likewise caught up in the backwash. And they go away into exile too. And they're part of the cream of the crop. Notice that verse 3 points out that these young people here are from who? From the nobility. Now, why did the Babylonians customarily do this when they would go in and conquer a nation and they they would capture some of the cream of the crop young people for a couple of reasons? Why would they do that? They would take back and, uh, uh, the yes, they would... Uh, They would have some of the young people that they would turn into Babylonian disciples who could then govern their own people, okay? That was kind of like mediators between the Babylonians and whatever nation it was that they had exiled. And then there would have been another reason why they would capture young people. For what? For what? Certainly more more teachable and impressionable, but Their their influence, but also because they would essentially be ransom, right? Ransom. We've got your youth, we've got your young people. You better behave us, you better listen. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted the best. Now, in all probability, although it's, it, it's implicit in the text more than explicit, but implicit in the text is that these young men were turned in to eunuchs. Why do I say that? Because who was put over them? The head of the eunuchs, but then also because of 2 Kings 20. 2 Kings 20, that points out that these young men were made eunuchs. Verses 14 to 19 in 2 Kings 20. So here, here Daniel is caught up in the backwash. He finds himself in a place he doesn't want to be. What does that show? It shows that if God judges the land... Even Christians suffer. Folks, God God doesn't put His people in a bubble, a protective bubble, and not let anything bad happen to them. God doesn't do that. He doesn't put us in a bubble and seal us off from the rest of the world and all the bad that's going on in the world. You rarely ever, if ever, in the scripture do you see God doing that with his people. God spared them in the midst of the fire, but they still had to go through the fire. Now, how old is Daniel at this point? Probably somewhere between 14 and 17 years of age. Now, what does this mean? When you think of how old he is, how long was the exile? 70 years. Let's just round it up and say he's 15. Time, Cyrus issues the decree for the Jewish people to be able to go back home and and rebuild. He would have been 85 years of age. which, Which means... Daniel's entire life just about has been on a foreign land. I mean, think about that. His entire life was spent in captivity. Now, by the way, when Cyrus, when the Persians came to power, Medo-Persians and Cyrus issued the decree they could go back home and rebuild, the majority of them didn't. Only 50,000 went back. But most of them had become so much like where they were and so comfortable and started businesses and so forth on their own, they just didn't go back. That's sad too, isn't it? And so you have like the book of Esther, for instance, that tells about the condition of those who stayed, what becomes of them. Uh the majority who stayed. Daniel obviously knew Jeremiah's prophecy. So at this young age, he knows that his whole life is going to be spent in, in Babylon. Folks, sometimes we don't understand what God may be up to. But that doesn't mean that he's not up to something. Before God can use us, he's got to refine us. You see, man is interested in what we do. God is first and foremost interested in who we are. God works on the character of a person. And then our actions, our fruit grows out of our character. God works on the character of the person First. if God only put us around other Christians where would our ministry be I wonder if you've thought very much about where God has you and why he may have you where you are have you given much thought to that I hope so Well, in verses 4 and 5, Daniel is also invited to indulge. I call this operation assimilation. Nebuchadnezzar wanted disciples for the next generation. Babylon was a place of wickedness. And what's what's to be done with these young men? They are to be educated in the language and the literature and the culture of the Chaldeans. Babylonians, Chaldeans, same folks. If you wonder, some translations in some places speak of the Babylonians. Some use the word Chaldeans, same Greek. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to get so accustomed to the world of the Babylonians that they would eventually forget all about their religious upbringing. He even changes their names to pagan names. Their names had been godly names, godly Hebrew names, dedicated to Yahweh. But now their new names are dedicated to Babylonian gods instead. It's no accident, as he pointed out in the video, that when you come to the last book in the Bible, Babylon is a picture of the world. From Genesis 11... At the Tower of Babel all the way to the end of the Bible, Babylon is never referred to in a positive or a godly way. It's always a devilish way. It became a symbol of everything opposed to God. Write down Psalm 137. Psalm 137 tells how many of the Jews responded to being in Babylon. Let me read that psalm to you. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill." If I do not remember you let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy The people were obviously grief-stricken But again remember what Jeremiah had what God had told them through Jeremiah the prophet Make sure you try to prosper in the new land because if the land prospers, you'll prosper. Work for the good of the land. Now again, all Daniel and his buddies had to do at this point was to go along to get along. You've heard that phrase before, right? Go along to get along. How long was their training to be for? Three years. Now, folks, I want you to think about America for a moment. When, you, when we think about their education and education today, for the most part, now, there's always exceptions to this, what I'm about to say, with school systems and teachers and principals, but for the most part, is the American public educational system now Godly or does it point people in the opposite direction? Opposite direction. Not just for three years, but for 12 plus years. I want you to think about how our young people are indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. What's taught is fact. It's not fact, it's theory, and it's not good theory at that. But what's taught as fact? Evolution. Now what's being taught? Homosexuality. And all these gender issues, whether it's that or transgender, gender reassignment, and you come out against that and... I mean, you're a teacher or administrator against that, and you'll be fired. We we see uh, in the news just about every week now, at least every month, where a principal somewhere or some kind of administrator, somebody on a school board or a teacher has been fired because maybe they spoke out against gender reassignment issues or something like that. So all of that's going on now with our young people what's the left folks the left has managed to do something that that they, they are far better at it than we as the church are discipling and indoctrinating right I mean again think of what they're doing for 12 plus years how our kids now are, are being trained to, so that they can be adults in this new modern world with all this going on.
1: Mm-hmm. And I went home that night and about the secretary and had the, the and, and boyfriend, the boyfriend in bed together. Huh. I'm like, oh my goodness,
0: i to scratch my eyes else. And it it was this like, it. Connie and I have noticed that. Every single series you watch on TV now, whether it's a Netflix series, Hulu, or primetime or whatever every single show if it's a drama or a sitcom or whatever it is they they are ramming it down they always have a couple who's homosexual, or lesbian or there's a gender reassignment surgery about to happen for a young person and then if Anybody on these shows speaks out against it. Oh, they're, they're the bad guy. They're the, they're the dinosaurs. They're the Neanderthals. And uh, they're, the, they're the enemy. And they're intolerant. And, I mean, we've noticed how, ev- just like what you're saying, every single show works it in now. Even if they work it in in an unnatural place, they work it in. Yes. I love oh, this character. Yep. 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 Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Sandra, you were going to. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it is this operation assimilation, isn't it? What, what we see going on here for three years. Again, I am not saying every teacher, every school we've got thank God for some dedicated Christian teachers in our public schools we've got some good schools, but I am saying as a whole it it is this they they evidently uh from top down I don't know if, how words getting out but top down they are having to march to this drum beat and yeah and if they don't they'll be fired sure oh yeah absolutely Yeah. Yep. And I'm sure that's the only time some kids ever did get it. In the Good News Club, probably the only time any of these kids ever are exposed to the Word of God. Todd, did you have a comment? No? Oh, okay.
1: of the people there was a few that i knew but most of the people i saw i didn't want to be like them or as the saying goes the reason why a lot of people don't come to church is they're afraid they'll turn out like us and i apologize for being so worse it's been going on for seven weeks now. Hmm. but that's that's what the message we have to get out
0: sure yep we have to get out. jim did you have comment Sure. what what you find in the scripture is condemnation of in interreligious marriages not interracial but um, yeah, I, just thought, you know, I imagine hell will freeze over before i hear anything <laughs> Well they're uh, talking about G rated in the little kids reading clubs in the public libraries now they're you know the books heather's got Two mommies or what? All that kind of stuff now has been read uh, like preschool children. So, again, it's all what what Nebuchadnezzar was was doing here. In three years, you and I are seeing it through and through in American culture now. This indoctrination. Don't don't kid yourself that it's not happening. Now, look at, look at verse 8. I'm convinced if it were not for verse 8, we would never read of Daniel and his friends again. What's verse 8 say? He was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. Now, the food, of course, would have been dedicated uh, to the Babylonian gods and idols. But this is where it all begins. Well, I shouldn't say where it all begins, where it surfaces in the narrative for Daniel. He purposes in his heart. I'm I'm convinced if it were not for verse eight, we would never know anything about Daniel, because this is what this is what makes him one of God's heroes. Right in the Bible.
1: We're getting the same thing. Those of us who do not believe in alcohol or consumption of it, sale of it, lottery, gambling, and like that, it's been pushed down I throats every place in Concord. You see, there's a new bar, a new bar. A sure. Died, died from
0: church plants are being done in brewer, brew, breweries now, even around town. I'm serious, church plants and breweries. But anyway, we can't control everything that goes on in the world around us, but we can control ourselves, right? Verse 8, just like Daniel did. We can make up our minds, right? What's going to influence you? What's going to influence me? Where are you going to draw the line? What are you going to take a stand on? Each one of us can do exactly like uh, Daniel did. Now, I want you to think about the miracle of this, too. I mean, here's a guy we've already said between 14 and 17 years of age... This many hundreds of miles away from home. A young man growing up in a foreign place, hundreds of miles from home. What would some people do? They'd go wild, right? What's Daniel do? Purpose is in his heart. He's going to be obedient to God. Sandra? Oh yeah. He was trained enough in Yeah. That he was Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very amazing the quality of the discipling that had taken part in the home. Obviously they had lived out the Shema, Deuteronomy six, about uh hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul body and strength and teach these things to your children they done a, obviously had done a great job of that one more and then we're going to we're going to need to close cuz they tell me I'm supposed to let y'all out so you can have your kids picked up by 6:15 right and so that was the example that he grew up with not to right and it's it's sad that we only hear of daniel were there others I, I don't know we we don't hear of them we hear of daniel and his three friends which that's that's sad too isn't it, that, that there's only these four uh, now folks i'm not done with this lesson yet but But a couple of lessons I want to leave you with. We'll come back, jump in on this again next week. Lesson one, make up your mind from this day forward to live for Christ. Make up your mind from this day forward to live for Christ, to honor God in all that you do. Secondly, make up your mind to obey God wherever He has planted you. Thirdly, make up your mind to influence other people around you. Influence other people, including other Christians around you, to take a stand. And then lastly, make up your mind that even small areas, what we would think of small areas, we're going to obey God in. Small areas lead to bigger areas, right? And small areas add up to build our characters.